read through this, there, there's something about these few passages, and I don't think God does or says or writes anything by accident. He always does everything on purpose. And when you look into such a set of passages, Paul was really talking about being an example to other people. And part of being that example was, as he was talking about, how important it was to know Christ. And so part of the high calling is, is how well do you know Jesus Christ? And you know, if you've come to the place in your life where you've trusted him as your personal savior, God tells us in the scriptures that we ought to grow in that grace now and in knowledge. The word knowledge is to have a relationship with and it's to grow in that knowledge. So we're to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so how many of you have gotten saved but really don't feel like you've grown in your Christian life at all? And it seems maybe even stagnant to you or some of you that have been excited for a while and you went for a while and and all of a sudden it just kind of falls off and you kind of fall away from the Lord and maybe get focused on material things or things of this earth, and you started to set your affections on things around you rather than things that are above. And that happens to all of us, by the way, including the man standing here preaching the message this morning. <laughs> we get our minds on the wrong things, and really what Paul is challenging us to do is to keep our mind on the right things. And so, you know, maybe there's a lack of funds in your household, or maybe there's an abundance of uh, funds in your household, and you, your mind's going one way or the other, the need for the funds, or what do we do with all the funds? And uh, I talked to a man who's a very wealthy man, and he told me, he said, uh, he hears people say this all the time, I would like to have all the money that you have. And he told me, and, and, and he continues to tell me, it's such a heavy burden to have all those finances. And he says, the amount of management that I have to do with all the funds that I have, he said, it's ridiculous after a while. And he lives so modestly. If you saw where he lived and how he lives and the things that he does, he doesn't live high-minded. He lives in a, in a low esteem, if you will. And it just brings heavy burdens to his heart on how to manage all the things that he has. And yet, I hear someone else who has little, and, and they talk about how hard it is to manage our life. And so what I want you to understand, whether you have much or you have little, if you have Christ, you have everything. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And what we really need to do is turn to him. And so in the management of our lack of funds or in the management of our abundance of funds or in the management of our lives, how much is Christ involved in your life? And so what I'm challenging us to think about this year is that high calling, the high calling. Now, the life that we live for Christ is to be a life of looking toward the future and, and really living in the present. And you say, I can't worry about tomorrow, but, you know, I can plan. And God, I think, is a planner. I can see it in the Scriptures. He plans things out and He follows through on it. And there's nothing wrong with planning, but you can't let your plan drive what happens to you today in the sense of it's constantly burdening me, but it's that I lay it out and I figure it out and I work toward that end goal on a regular basis. And, you know, if it all gets accomplished, great. If it doesn't all get accomplished, it's okay too. <laughs> because sometimes God intervenes in our day and he changes our direction. How many of you have had that happen to you? And you had something planned out, and you know you wanted to get something accomplished, and God intervenes, but, but the thing of it is, is we want to accomplish God's will. You know, living for Jesus Christ is not about accomplishing it at all, nor is it turning it over to, to God and sitting back and doing nothing. I think there's a balance to that. <laughs> and that balance is, is that God gave us a mind, amen? And let this mind be in you, which is also in... So he gave us a mind, but he gave us a mind that we would focus on Christ. Do you realize sometimes if you would spend more time doing for others how much God will accomplish for you sometimes? <laughs> when you reach out to people, when you do for others, and it's not just about making us feel good, because I know around this time of the year that happens. I mean, we go do something for someone else. It kind of makes us feel good, and that's okay. I mean, I, I, I like that emotion too. How many of you like that? You do something, and you can see the joy that it brings to someone. That's wonderful. But the reality is, is that we do it out of love and we do it out of being a servant of Christ. Amen. And then I got to thinking about this is a process of living for Christ. As Paul defines in the Christian life, a race to run and a prize to attain. <laughs> do you know, I, I say this and I know it comes out harsh sometimes, but 
I care so much more about what the Lord Jesus Christ thinks about me than I care about what man thinks about me. And I know that sounds harsh sometimes, but I really do care about what God thinks. Because sometimes men don't think with God, amen? They just don't. We just don't walk with Him. We don't think with Him. And sometimes people can have an opinion or a position about you, and they don't even know who you are. In fact, I can share this with you. I had a lady in our church years ago, and this is while I was at Westmoreland. She thought that I came from a very privileged background. She thought that I was wealthy and that I had a lot of money and that everything was taken care of for me. Well, I want to tell you, when you have five brothers and four sisters living in one house in an old coal mining town in a place where all of you had to sleep in one room at one point, and you had three bunk beds on one side and three bunk beds on the other side, and Mama didn't want me laying in the middle because she thought I'd get crushed, that wasn't wealth. And the thing of it is, is that when we began to talk, we ended up understanding how much we actually had in common. And if I name her name, my children know her, my wife knows her. Uh, and, and the thing of it is, we began to talk, and we had a lot in common because we ate a lot of the same foods when we were growing up because we didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, Mama used to make something called SOS, and I don't want to tell you what the rest of the world calls that, but we ate a lot of SOS when I was growing up. <laughs> I found out older what that meant, so I try not to use it so much today. <laughs> but, the, but the thing of it is, is that we ate tomato gravy, and Mom made homemade bread. We had a garden out back. We grew our own vegetables. We tried to do as much as we could because we just didn't have any money. And when I used to go get shoes, I would watch kids walk into the, to the local school, and they'd have Converse's on. And I'd think, man, this is back when they first came out. You know, and you're looking at that. You're like, man, they paid 20 bucks for those shoes. Yeah. My dad used to buy two pair for $5. <laughs> I used to get two pair of stickers, a white pair and a black pair. Now, today they call them Chuck Taylors, I think, something like that. Back then, they weren't very expensive. You got a black pair and a white pair. And the one was, you get to wear this pair outside to play, and the other one's for gym because we had to have clean shoes to be on the gym floor. Now, people can think what they want about us and can form an opinion about us but sometimes they don't know us. People form positions about Jesus Christ all the time, and they don't know him. What I want to challenge us with this year is to draw closer to our Savior. Are you pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ? Are you running that race to attain that prize? You know, it's so important that we remain in the race for Christ and that we reach the goal that he has established for us. And by the way, I want you to know this. If everybody just look this way for just a second, God has a goal for every person in this church today. Amen. Every one of you. There's not a single solitary person in here that he does not have a goal for. You know what we ought to do? Pray and say, Lord, what is that goal that I need to attain this year on your behalf? What is it that you would have me to do, Lord? <laughs> As I come to this, three steps that must be taken to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling is, first of all, let Christ have possession. Let, high, let Christ have possession. Everything that you possess, let Christ have possession of it. Listen to me. Everything you possess, let Christ have possession of it. If he has possession of it, you're not holding on to it too tight. Anita shared with me years ago that she said, we want to live our life palms up. I didn't understand what she meant by what she said. But she said that way, if we live our lives palms up, God can take whatever he wants and he can place it in our hands and he can take it out. But she said, "Hon, when he puts it in, if we grip it too tight, he can't put anything else in. (laughs) And sometimes we're holding on to our possessions so tight that we forget about our relationship with our Savior. (laughs) And we need to live our lives a little more palms up, a little more open, letting Christ have possession. Secondly, Letting go of the past. Let me ask you a question today. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know this to be true. How many of us have something in our past that just beats us down? Anybody? We have something in our past that just keeps beating us down. And the thing of it is, is if it is, you've never given it to Christ. And he says in the scriptures in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of your care upon him for he what? You ought to take that item and really give it to him. How many of you understand what I mean by that? 
How many of you have had a burden that you carried for too long and you finally gave it to him? And you know what he's capable of doing, amen? How many of you have done that, huh? And you've given him that burden and you've turned it over to him and God has it now and you don't have to carry it anymore. It's an amazing Christ, isn't it? And so I want to challenge you with this, not only to let Christ have possession of it, but the idea is let go of the past. Some of us hang on to our past for too long and it causes us to be crippled in the present. And we can't do anything toward the future because we're so focused on what the past has done to us. And lastly this, I want you to look toward a future. But when I talk about that, I'm not talking about building up my 401k. I'm not talking about planning my retirement. I'm not talking about how much money I have in the bank or what I think I can sell my house for. I'm talking about my relationship with Christ, building toward a future. Amen? Now, I'm talking about an eternity, not just on things of the earth. And the Bible clearly tells us in Colossians to set your affections on things above and not on things of the what? Sometimes we get so focused on earthly possessions that it possesses us and Christ does not, even as saved people, we get to that place. Now, the challenge is this. The first step is to let Christ have possession. Look at verses 11 and 12 here. He said, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Part of this race is making sure I do not permit myself to be satisfied with my spiritual accomplishments. Never be satisfied with them. Look toward what God's doing, too. Now, what I mean by that is, is that we can become so content with where we are, and we just, and the Bible says, you know, we need to be content. So I just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just content right here where I am. That's all what the Bible's speaking of. The Bible clearly wants us to continue to have some spiritual accomplishments in our lives. What are you planning this year, this coming year, to accomplish for the Lord? What is it that God's placed upon your heart, or what spiritual accomplishment do you really want to do this year? Well, I'm going to start in Genesis 1-1. How many of us have done this? I'm, I, man, I'm starting in Genesis 1-1, and by December 31st, I'm going to be through Revelation. And by the time we get to Leviticus, <clears throat> all those genealogies, can't handle it, and we quit. Because we can't even read through the genealogies. By the way, they have importance in the scriptures as we heard on Thursday night, amen? <laughs> have a significant uh, uh, importance in the scriptures. Many Christians become self-satisfied because they compare their race or running with others. And, and Christians are often uh, ones that do this and, and they don't make much progress because they're looking at this other person's life and saying, well... When I look at them and I look at me and I see where they are and I see where I am, I'm doing much better than they are. <laughs> and the thing of it is, is when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not what? We're not wise for doing that. And so don't compare yourself to someone else. Pick up the scriptures and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? <laughs> Pick up the Bible and begin to read it again. Ask God to impact your heart. We need to compare ourselves with Christ and the Word of God, which is evident in Paul's life. Now, the mature Christian evaluates himself and strives to do better. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with evaluation. There's nothing wrong with critiquing maybe some things that you did or didn't do well. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes, I mean, in our world today, you think, you know, criticism, you know, you have to go hide in a corner somewhere and, you know, oh my goodness, you know, life's over because I got criticized. <laughs> But I want you to understand something. Sometimes criticism is not a bad thing. What we do with it can be bad. <laughs> and sometimes it's unmerited criticism, and I understand that as well. But the fact is, is to just sit back and kind of evaluate where I am as a Christian and where do you want to be by the end of 2019. Personally, I like to be in heaven sometimes, but it doesn't happen, amen? <laughs> but the idea is, is what is it that I'm striving for? Now, the mature Christian evaluates himself, strives to do better, and Paul realized he was not perfect in recognizing that it is a mark of maturity knowing he is not perfect. And listen, we need to recognize we as individuals, we're not perfect people. How many of you realize we're not perfect? None of you. You realize you're all perfect then, right? No. How many of you realize we're not perfect? No. We're not. 
We're not a perfect people. Perfection is Christ, amen? amen. His righteousness is perfect. <laughs> and we ourselves are not perfect people. And we need Him in our lives daily. And understanding this is a part of maturity in your Christian life. This is an area that we must pray about and seek the Lord because we can have a false estimate of our spiritual condition. Now, God speaks of in the book of Revelation, and by the way, I believe these are seven real churches in Revelation, amen? He's talking to seven real churches in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. There's three churches there that had a misconception of who they actually were. Sardis was one of them. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation 3.1, And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. I know what you're presenting to people, but let me tell you where you folks really are. And see, we can have a misunderstanding of who we are. Now, consulting with Jesus is a good idea. Men may have an opinion of me, but the most important opinion is what Christ thinks about me. Now, that opinion that Christ has of me is only going to come through my knowledge of Christ, my relationship with Him. That's where it really comes from. And so, this church had an idea of who they thought they were, and God said, let me tell you who you really are, and I don't know what it did to those people, but I'm sure it was kind of a stabbing feeling. He says in Laodicea, which, you know, many of us would say, man, I don't want to be a part of that because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Uh-oh. They had an opinion about themselves and Christ had an opinion about them. I wonder which one's right. I would imagine that our Savior's opinion of where they were spiritually, and that's all we're talking about here, had an opinion of themselves spiritually, and God's saying, here's where you really are spiritually, and he's revealing that to them. When we get into the scriptures, God begins to reveal to us really where we are spiritually at times. And, and there are times when we're on a spiritual high, and I enjoy those times, but then God reveals to us areas that we need to be working on, things that we need to be doing differently than we are currently doing them or things that we need to add to our lives, or things that need to be deducted from our lives. There's different things that God wants to do. But listen, it comes through Christ Jesus and your personal relationship with Him. And listen, He said, then I may know Him. How are you going to know Him? How do you begin to know someone? And you say, well, Paul, he was just such a great man. And no, he was a man greatly used of God. <laughs> And the reason it occurred is because Paul came to the place where he realized he was not a perfect man. And he realized that God did want to use him. And, and listen, he didn't have it easy. He went through some tough times. Would you agree? <laughs> Paul had some struggles. But the one thing that he did was try to keep his mind focused upon Christ. This church had an opinion about themselves, and yet God had a different opinion. In Smyrna, in chapter 2, verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Wow. Whew. That's a tough message, isn't it? And he said, I know who you think you think you are, but that's not who you are. And he said, there is a different opinion I have. Now listen, I'm not telling us that we're of the synagogue of Satan, but I am simply telling us that we need to know him, and to know him is to make changes in our lives. It's to press toward that mark. It's to go after him and recognize who he is. You know, self-evaluation can be dangerous, too, in two ways. And I tell you this because we can make ourselves better than we are. And, and um, I believe I've shared this story with you, but I went to high school with a young man. His name was Vajai, and Vajai played basketball. And we went to our... 20th, I think, high school reunion. <laughs> and, and at the high school reunion, he brought a film projector because they used to film all of the stuff. He bought the film projector and thought that we would all enjoy watching him play basketball. Now, he had that same spirit when we were in high school, by the way. <laughs> it didn't leave him. And, and, you know, so he had the screen set up and he's letting the film roll and he's standing there watching it. He's standing there watching it and watching it and watching it. 
And most people were kind of congregating and talking, but Vagi was like, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? And the thing of it was, is he was living where? In his past, he had evaluated himself to maybe a certain level, and he said, well, didn't you feel sorry for him? Yeah, a little bit. And the thing of it is, is that sometimes we get to the place where we evaluate ourselves and we make ourselves better than we are. You'd have thought he was going to the NBA, but he didn't have that skill. We were in a single-A school where he was really good. (laughs) And the thing of it is, is that sometimes we elevate in our minds who we think we are, making ourselves better than we think we are. But then there's also this issue, making ourselves worse than we really are, making it worse, making making it conditions that are just, you know, Worse than everything else. How many of you have started to share maybe a woe with someone and their woe is greater than your woe? (laughs) And it becomes a competition rather than just talking and praying for one another. (laughs) My woe is bigger than your woe. (laughs) So, you know, and the thing of it is, is we can do that to ourselves as well. Hey, preacher, where's this going? Paul did not fall under any illusion. One way or the other. (laughs) And, And he still had to keep pressing forward in order that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended for, uh, of Christ. When you have a divine dissatisfaction for your spiritual progress, you are letting the Lord possess you. When you have a divine dissatisfaction with where you are spiritually, <laughs> I believe God's got a hold of you. Because Paul was at the place where he says, not that I've apprehended. He realizes he hadn't achieved it. He hadn't taken it in. He didn't cage it in. He didn't rope it in. It hasn't always been a part of him. And we're talking about Paul. (laughs) And and, and I look at this and he's saying, hey, I need to have a better relationship with Christ. And I'm looking at his life and I'm reading the scriptures and I'm looking at Paul and I'm thinking, Paul, how could you possibly think that about yourself? Yet he wanted to know him better. (laughs) What is your desire in 2019 to know him better? to know more about him. And when you have a divine dissatisfaction for your spiritual progress, you're letting God possess you. Let me give you a psalm here. You can write this down, and we won't turn there for the sake of time. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water's brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? (laughs) When is the last time you really had that thirst for the Lord? (laughs) That you're, you're, you're so thirsty that you're panting for that water. And, and, and I remember uh, when we were in high school, we had to run the half mile, and we had to do it in so many minutes, and if you didn't, you had to run it again. How many of you remember doing stuff like that? You had to run the, the half mile, and you had to do it in so much time or whatever. And uh, I remember that morning, I was feeling a little bit worn out, a little bit tired, and had to go run. <laughs> And uh, my gym class was second period, so it was exciting. (laughs) And you're not hardly awake, you know what I mean? Because you just sat through a psychology class or whatever, (laughs) or an economics class, and you're like exhausted, and and, and you got to go suit up and get out there and go run. I remember at the end of that run, I was like, and I didn't care what Mr. Trencia had to say. I didn't care what we were going to do next. I wanted one thing. What do you think I wanted? I wanted some water. Our souls can become so thirsty for the Lord, and we don't recognize it. And what it is, the thirst that you really have in your life is not for more funds or an ability to manage the funds or for this physical problem to go away or for this to happen. Your real thirst is you need Christ. Paul said that I may know him. When I challenge you with this, as the heart panteth at the water's brook, he's saying as a deer comes up and is so thirsty and, and he's panting and he desires that water, that's the relationship. That's the relationship entering in. And he said, so panteth my soul after thee. The, the thing of it is, is there's there a thirst in you anymore for the things of God. If there is, you're going to have that desire. You're going to have that wantonness to wake up and, and to really go after him. And he says this, he said, O God, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There is such a desire to be close to him as even a person who is just completely uh, out of energy and nothing will do but that water. And you have the living water. And nothing will do, folks, I'm telling you. 
more than the living water. Now, the first step to remain in the race for Christ, I tell you, have a divine dissatisfaction with where you are spiritually. I'm not talking about me just making an assessment of myself. I'm saying God tells us, and we do communion here on a regular basis, and the Bible says, but, you know, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and let him drink of that cup. Isn't that what the Bible says? And, and, and he tells us to have some sort of an examination, not making more of ourselves than we ought to. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. And, and what it is is that I don't make it worse than it is, but I get to know him, and he helps me and walks me through it. And I begin to understand who he is and what he's doing and what he's trying to accomplish making spiritual progress, have that divine dissatisfaction, reset your thinking in your heart through prayer and God's Word, then take that necessary step of allowing Christ to possess your life that day. Let Him have possession. Letting Him have possession is, as you're walking with God, you're thinking with God throughout the day. And there are a lot of mundane things that we do throughout our day that doesn't require our full time and attention, and we can give God attention at those times, and we can let Him possess us. That means let Him take control. <laughs> Let him have your thinking. Amen? Let him do it. Second thought is this. One of the biggest hindrances to a Christian maturing is living in the past. I want you to look at verse 13 with me. He said, Brethren, he said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now, I want to challenge you in an area. The greatest deterrent to growing spiritually is allowing the past to interfere with the present. We allow the past to interfere so much with the present, we can't think about a future. <laughs> and, and what we do is we live in the past. Now, I don't know uh, about you. I have some family members, when I get around them sometimes, all they want to do is talk about the negative things of the past. That's a tough conversation to have. For one thing, you can't change anything that happened, amen? And, and, and there's nothing uh, wrong with going back and thinking about the past and maybe something fun or some amusement park that we went to or some, some funny story that happened. But when we live in the past, we're not living in the present. <laughs> when we live in the past, we allow our minds to be deterred with what's going on. We, we constantly think about what happened then. And, and by the way, you can't change any of it. How many of you understand that? You can't change a single solitary thing. Amen. It already happened. Now, you may be able to repair a relationship. You may be able to go back and ask for forgiveness. You may be able to fix something from the past. And there's no, nothing wrong with that, but you can't live there. And some of us live in that arena. And I believe, ultimately, it'll affect your future. The past is often interference. I want to tell you who likes to interfere a lot is Satan. He likes you to think about the past, because if you're thinking about the past, you're not thinking about the present. By the way, sometimes it can become very selfish in nature, too, when you kind of just live in the past all the time. And, and what you want to do is not allow Satan to, to convince you that that's where you want to hang out. And secondly, the flesh can do it as well. Am I right? <laughs> we can just let ourselves hang out there. And, and Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, what did he say? Forgetting those things which are what? Behind. Let me tell you some things Paul had to forget about. He had to forget about the day that he was standing there holding the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen to death. He had to let go of that, didn't he? That's something that he couldn't hold on to any longer. And the thing of it is, is we only know that particular story, but we know he persecuted the church. So how many more people had Paul done that to? How many more people got stoned to death as a result of Paul? Saul at the time, right? And here's the thing. If anybody really wanted to forget their past, I believe this man wanted to. Because that's not where he was living. He was living in the present, and he understood that I may know him. And he's saying this one thing. There's a high calling that I'm trying to press toward, and the way to get there is to have a better relationship with Christ Jesus. My challenge to you is, what kind of life are you going to have with Christ? You know, the world loves to interfere too, doesn't it? <laughs> You watch any news station for too long, you'll be messed up, man. I'm telling you right now. It doesn't matter whether it's Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC. I mean, it'll just mess with your head after a while. You're thinking, good night, where do we live? And the thing of it is, is that we allow the world to really affect us. 
we think, and truthfully, folks, as Christians, we believe that maybe we need to become more accepting of some things that they're doing out there, and then that way we can have more in here because we're more accepting of what they're doing out there. That's false. Now, we need to reach them with the gospel, granted. And, and the thing of it is, is that we reach them with Jesus Christ, not with entertainment. We don't do it with drum kits and songs and contemporary music. You do it through truth, amen? He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The only way to sanctify people or to set them apart or to cleanse them is through the word of God. It doesn't happen any other way. You can do all kinds of things to entertain people and it'll go until the entertainment grows old. And by the way, sometimes shows get canceled. How many of you know that? And if they're putting on a show from Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, eventually the show's going to get canceled. And the reality is, truth is foundational. It's strong, isn't it? Jesus Christ is powerful, folks. And Paul said that I may know him. You see, he wanted to forget about his past. And as you begin to think about this, you limit your life when you continue to play on what had already happened. Now, I've shared this verse with many of you time after time, but I want you to turn to 1 John with me. Chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. After you get there, I want to I share a thought with you this morning. First John chapter 3. Verses 20 and 21 are the two verses. First John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> there is probably not a person in here that there's something in their past that they despise. Something maybe that happened or some situation that occurred. Maybe how you acted toward another, how you behaved toward another, or maybe something you said or something you did, and, and, and that kind of thing. And every once in a while, old saint wants to come up and say, hey, you remember that? Yeah, you're useless. Or you get to the place where that old flesh says, you know, I can't do anything for God because of this. And the world wants you to be defeated. Satan wants you to be defeated. And this old flesh wants you to be defeated. <laughs> but I'm going to read this verse to you. And I really want you to get a hold of this because too many Christians live in an arena where they allow their past to dictate what they're doing. And this passage is clear. And this has to do, now listen to me before we look at it, this has to do with our confidence in who he is. How many of you know the verse, 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. How many of you know that verse? Okay. So the Bible clearly tells us that we have a forgiving God. Isn't that what it tells us? Amen. So here's John writing now, and I want you to think about these two verses. He says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, now notice what it says, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward who? This has everything to do with our confidence in him. Here's what we do. Look at me, folks, for just a moment. Some, some besetting sin in our past, and maybe we've come to God and we've asked for forgiveness for that sin, but it keeps coming up in my mind or I keep thinking about it and I feel like a failure even though I've asked God to forgive me? My confidence is not in Him then. My confidence is maybe in my prayer that I prayed or maybe where I was when I prayed or maybe what I said in my prayer. Or... But He said if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our what? Sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to have confidence in him. Now, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knoweth what? He knows all things. He knows if you were sincere in asking him to forgive you. 
He knows that. And so if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward who? Toward God. What happens is our confidence is not in him, it is in us. And maybe the fact that we revealed it to him or that we prayed about it or that we've thought about it, but the reality is, is God forgives. And too many of us live in our past. Too many want to hold on to something. Tell me one thing. What can you change about yesterday? What can you change about the start of this service? (laughs) You can maybe change the next service based on something you learned in this service, but you can't change this service, can you? You can't change what's been said, what's happened or anything. Tell me one thing you can change about what you did even an hour ago. Not a thing. Now, you may be able to repair it. You may be able to ask for forgiveness. You may be able to say, listen, I've changed my mind, but you can't change what happened. (laughs) It already happened, didn't it? And as you think about this, I want to challenge you, remember that the only way to remove those obstructions is to live in the present. Look toward the future. That's what Paul had to do. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. We cannot live in the past. We have to live in the present, and we have to plan for a future. But if you continue to live in the past, and it doesn't mean you don't learn from it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about we can't look at things historically and use that as a tool. But when you live there, you become crippled and stifled in your Christian life. When you're living in the past, you're living like maybe an unsaved person (laughs) because you're not trusting the Lord according to 1 John 3, 20 and 21. You're allowing your heart to continue to condemn you and you're not having confidence toward God. You're not really believing that he'll forgive you. If the runners of a race continue to look back, I can guarantee you stumbling and injury is on the future. How many of you agree with that? <laughs> how many of you would say, if there were hurdles, how many of you remember the hurdles? Anybody remember those, those things you had to hurdle over in, in, in track? And if the runner of running those hurdles is constantly doing this, what are the chances of him making the next hurdle? Not very low, isn't it? And what happens is this, in our Christian life, if we're busy doing this, how are you doing this way? It's hard to do that, isn't it? And so when the hurdle comes, you stumble again because you can't even see it. And the reality is, is we're so busy looking backwards, we can't look forward. And Paul said, you got to forget those things back there. Now listen, he was saying both good and bad, sometimes we need to let go of stuff, don't we? Vajai was no longer the basketball player that he was in high school. He was a single-A player who thought he was really, really good, NBA material, and didn't make the college team. I'm challenging you to think about this for a minute. We're so busy looking backwards, we don't look ahead. Now, when you think about that, Luke 9, 62 says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. (laughs) No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because everything's doing this, isn't it? (laughs) You say, well, we got GPS today, brother. You know what I found out about GPS? The reason I like an almanac or the reason I like to open up a road uh, map, you know, the reason I like to open it up, because I like to look at other roads and see where I'm going. And what GPS does is only tells you where you are. Now, you can expand it. If you can do that while you're driving, good for you. And you can kind of look at the whole map and all that kind of stuff. But most of the time, GPS is just saying, turn left. How many of you have turned left when GPS told you and you realized that was not a good left turn? (laughs) (laughs) And the thing of it is, is that When you think about this, and Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, you may think this way. You've been out on 75 out here. How many of you know that nobody drives 70 on 75? How many of you realize that? Most people are going 90 or better. Now, let's say they're all doing that, and we're driving this way, and we're going. How's that going to work out? We're moving really fast. When we're busy looking back here, how's that going to work out for everybody that day? 
Not very well. Crazy, isn't it? God's telling us in our Christian life, if you keep looking back, there's no way you're going to be able to move toward a future. You're so busy looking into the past. Now, too many Christians are stumbling in the present because they're focused on what happened in the past, only placing more obstacles in their own path. And we do that because we're not really planning it out, not really thinking about it. Now, to forget in this passage does not mean fail to remember, but it requires us to no longer be influenced or affected by it. Isn't that good? It doesn't mean that we always forget it in that sense, but we're not influenced or affected by it anymore. And we let so many things from our past to influence or affect us now, and it's causing you trouble. And what God's saying is, don't let it influence you or affect you anymore. Move on. Move on. Move past it. Paul had to move past a lot of things, didn't he? And all God is telling us is to move past those things. And so it requires us to no longer be influenced or affected by what has happened in my past. It does not mean you do not learn something so as not to repeat the same mistakes or sins, but we are not to dwell in that life. God told us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 what? That we're a new creature, aren't we? We're a new creature in Christ. He, he tells us it's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. It's different now. It's different now than it was in the past. And it's different for you as a saved individual. And if you are a new creature in Christ, you do not have to live with the burdens of the past. Now, the second step is living for Christ daily. Uh, you know, it requires a reset of thinking. It requires us to reset our thinking again and our heart through prayer and God's Word and start living in the present. Uh, if you're going to make spiritual progress, you can't keep looking backwards. You have to look forward. You have to look ahead. You can't keep looking back. So you've got to press toward the mark. Now, when I share that with you, the second step is doing that, and we have to live by that. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, and I've shared this with you many a time, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your what? And that you put on the new man. There's a change in thinking, isn't there? I have to change the way I'm thinking now. And so God requires that of us. And he says, And be renewed in the spirit of my mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There is a change in my thinking. I'm going in a different direction now. So I, I can't look back. I have to look ahead. Now let me challenge you. Take the necessary step and don't allow your past to influence or affect what you're doing for Christ today. Did you learn from something? Good. That's great. And if you learn from it, use it. That's, that's a positive thing. But don't live back there. Don't be influenced and affected by it all the time because it's not going to help you with the future. Last thought is this. He makes this statement and he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So he said, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth unto those things which are before. When he's saying that, there's something ahead of us. There's something ahead of us and he's pressing toward that mark. He's going after that. The third step is to look uh, to the future. And one of the praises often given to men in that day was being forward thinkers. And this goes beyond thinking. It lends itself to learning more about Christ. He said that I may know him. Think back on that verse, that I may know him. All that he's talking about from that point forward is how he's gotten to know him better. And he's gotten to know him better by not looking backwards. He's gotten to know him better by allowing him to have possession of him. He's gotten to know him better by looking toward a future, a, an eternal future, not looking back at the past. Now, forgetting those things which are behind does not suggest an impossible feat of mental and psychological gains. That's not what it is. That's not what God's talking about. It, it, it is not that idea at all. In fact, uh, it has the idea of you can't erase the past. It's there. It happened. But God doesn't want us to continually be influenced by it. He wants us to work toward a future. Now, it simply means that we break the power of the past by living for Christ now and in the future. Make that decision today. You see, you come to that place where it no longer influences you. <laughs> what influences you is truth, and I live by it. Now, it is so easy for an individual or an entity to live in the past. And by the way, that's successes or failures. It doesn't matter. We can live in the past. And it doesn't matter which it is. Creating limitations and causing us to have these stumbling blocks in our lives. And we can avoid that by focusing on Christ. The Christian, by the way, needs to be forward thinking. Not living on the successes of the past or not allowing difficulties of the past to hinder the future. So he said, pressing toward the future is letting go of pride and fear and moving by faith. 
you know, some of us have a lot of pride in our lives, and, and that can hinder us. And too much pride can hinder a man. Pride in and of itself can hinder a man. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before what? Well, can happen, can it? And pride can really get in our way and, and, it, and it can be destructive. And so don't make more of yourself than you ought to. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. And so we have to come to that place where we realize that. And then there's that idea of fear and, and faith. In 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. You can't be afraid to do something. But what did he give us? Well, he gave us power. Uh, and love, and, and, a, and a sound mind. He gave us three things that we ought to operate off of. And, and he said, I've given you power. That power is the power of the Holy Spirit which worketh in us. <laughs> he gave us his love, which we can share with others. Amen? And he's given us a sound mind. What mind did he give us? Let this mind be in you, which is also in whom? That's a sound mind, isn't it? So he gave us three things that he said, here's what I want you to do. And we have to live by faith and not by fear. So God wants us to move forward by faith. As a Christian, you're in a race for Christ. Let me, let me challenge you this way. One of the things that I keep asking and praying about myself personally is that I pray and I say, Lord, help me to seek your will for my life. Then when I open the Word of God and I begin to read it, the Word of God is the will of God. And so when I'm seeking God's will and I pray about God's will and then I read the Word of God, the Word of God is God's will. And He begins to reveal things to you. Why? Because you're saved. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And the Comforter is your teacher. The Holy Ghost is your teacher. And when you open this, there's no reason why you cannot understand it. The only reason you cannot understand it is the Bible clearly says then you're of a carnal mind. A carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. So if you're reading this and you say, I cannot understand this, the Bible says that we're of a carnal mind then. Because a saved man, the Bible says, that the Holy Ghost, which the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever he has said unto you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and you can understand the will of God. Is this making sense to you folks? Amen. You can understand his truth. <laughs> and so when you lift this up and you read it, he can supply you with what you need, seeking his will. We look to the future and he is able to strengthen you and mature you. Now, some Christians are so busy dying to self, <laughs> they never enter the race. They're just dying to self all the time. <laughs> I'm just here, you know, preacher, just dying to self. We know it goes beyond that. Dying to self means that I'm serving the Lord. <laughs> I'm doing something beyond myself. That's dying to self. <laughs> and then others are so sure of themselves that they never stop to pray. They are so sure of themselves they don't pray about anything. They just do it because they're just sure of themselves. They don't pray and they don't read God's word and they don't ask God's plan and they don't seek his power and they accomplish the work. What do we need God for then? We can just get it done on our own. The reality is, is if we want God in it, and we want God's power in it, and we want God's strength in it, and make it what God wants it to be, we ought to be praying and seeking Him and asking Him what He would have us to do. How many of you agree with that this morning? Amen. We ought to seek the Lord. What does God want us to do? Now, make sure you're pressing toward the right spiritual goal with the right kind of spiritual determination. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because we can press toward something and it'd be the wrong mark. But he said, I press toward the mark. He's talking about a specific kind of mark. He's talking about a specific goal that he's after. And it started off in verse 10 that I may know him. And, and he's saying, I want to press toward that mark. That's the mark that he's after. That, that's the target that he wants to hit. And we've got to depend on Christ, avoid the influence of the past. We've got to press toward the right mark, and his name is Jesus. And I started off this message just asking you and telling you about the high calling. The high calling in all of our lives is that you may know him, that you're pressing toward him, that you're thinking about him, 
You've let him have possession of you. You're letting go of your past. And you're saying, you know what? I'm planning a future with Christ, not just for the here and the now. I don't have my things just set and my affections set on things here. I got my things and my affections set on things above. Things that are far more important than me, outside of me. Something that's far greater. This is accomplished through prayer and God's Word. And I believe you can start pressing toward the right mark. And you can have that spiritual progress. And, and listen, what happens to you is we're all going to leave out of here in a few minutes. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And everything I said could just go in one ear and right out the other. Everything that's been preached to you this morning. And you'll go out of here and you'll go home and you'll put on the football game and you'll forget anything that God said. Not me, God, His Word. I preached it this morning. <laughs> and you can forget all about it. And you can get tied up in whether the Browns are going to win or not. Amen? Right, Chris? I want them to win today. Are you with me? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure we're on the same team today. I need the Browns to win today. Today will be the day they lose, right? <laughs> no. But anyway... The thing of it is, is we'll go home and we'll get our mind on something else. We'll want to fill our bellies. Amen? I want to go to Louise's house. She's a great cook. Amen? <laughs> I want to go to your place. I want to eat at your place. <laughs> we'll go fill our bellies. And here's the thing. Let me challenge you to pick this up today. And the very passages that I preached out, I'll read them again. And by the way, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's in you. Amen? Amen. Holy Ghost is in you. Amen. And say, Lord, I heard that man say some things, but Lord, I'm really asking you to feed my soul right now on what I'm reading. My challenge to every person that's sitting in here is what plan do you have for 2019 in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You can plan your vacation. You can plan the new car you're going to buy. You can plan where you're going to move next. You can plan the clothes you're going to buy. You can plan all these things out. You can plan all those things. What about your plan and your relationship with the Lord? You say, preacher, nobody does that. I think Paul did. And we're challenged today to do the same. Amen. How about you press toward the mark this year? Not just any mark, but the mark of the high calling for the prize. Who is he? His name's Jesus. Let's pray.